0: What's up, everybody? Jay Miller here, back again with another Productivity in Tech podcast. This is the show where I sit down with someone in the tech space and discover the secrets to how they are absolutely dominating their field. And today is no exception to that. On the line with me, I have someone that I have known as long as I have been a developer. Funny enough, the first time I met my guest, I was watching the logo to his current business be made. So this is someone near and dear to me, especially from a professional level, but on the line, I have my good friend, the one and the only, Trey Hunter. Trey, how are you doing?
1: I'm doing great, that was a great introduction and I completely forgot that you got to see my logo being made, which I love my logo.
0: Yeah, it's it's insane. In fact, you gave me my first conference t-shirt because you had just gotten back from PyCon PDX that or uh-huh. what no it was Montreal it was PyCon
1: Montreal oh, that, that was game. my very first PyCon so I <laughs> gave you my my first PyCon t-shirt I guess I chose to give to you <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so it's it's
0: super interesting to see and like for some reason in my mind I thought like you you were like this sage developer from like you know to your origins of Python, and you had like all of this knowledge, and now you're like, dude, I was probably programming like a year or two longer
1: than you. Yeah, no, I, I joined the meetup like two years before you did. It was awesome, like that was when I found the community was a little bit before you. So,
0: so let's uh, we've we've already spent like almost the length of an entire show just catching up with each other before the show. <laughs> so let's jump in for those that don't know you, uh, give a give a kind of a brief rundown of all the stuff that you're doing in the t- Python space.
1: Yeah. So it's funny if I kind of go in from today, it feels more impressive to me than it would have, for example, back then, cause there's, <laughs> you know, there's, there's the feeling of the slow buildup and, um, what I do today is I do Python training for teams, Um, often on site though, right now, obviously not on site. So a lot of remote training right now. Uh, and I also run a service called Python morsels, which I send out one Python exercise either every week or every month, and you can choose your skill level. That's not meant for learning Python though. That's meant for folks who are kind of already in the weeds with Python and want to improve their skills, improve the readability of their code, better utilize you know, parts of the language they didn't know about. Um, and then what else do I do? I guess I, I used to give more talks at conferences. Now that conferences are less of a thing, I don't so much. Although I also purposely decided I was going to give less talks because it, it takes a lot of time to prepare a talk and I've decided to do a little bit more work on other stuff. But I'd say those are the two main things that I do is besides you know writing random things on the internet, running Python morsels to help random people on the internet improve their Python skills, which is really fun and uh, working directly with teams who can have me come in and uh, improve their Python skills and kind of a more uh, hands-on basis.
0: You know, it's, it's so cool that, you know, just I was looking at your site and like the talks that you've given one, I've seen all of these talks, if not in person, like on YouTube. Um, but I've always like, you're always like pushing these these cool areas of, of Python. And I, I think the first one that I ever heard was, I, I know you did it at PyCon, the using list comprehensions and generator expressions. I literally had to watch that like a couple of days ago for a project that I was working on just as a refresher for awesome. it. And I'm going to pick your brain on that later because I'm still banging my head against the wall in terms of like code design stuff. But I have to ask, there's There's this one piece of Python code that I I tend to use a lot, but I know a lot of people whenever they see it in my code, they're like, "Wait a minute, you 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 use the Walrus operator. Yep. <laughs> Is yep. that something that you do in your code often? Are you always like on the forefront of, um, I guess new features in Python?
1: Well, it, I mean, it's hard to say often because, you know, like you implied here, it's new, right? It's in, we're at 3.8. It was added in 3.8. So it was only added to the language within the last year or so, I think. I'm, you know, my memory's serving me um, or not failing me there. So I use it, but I use it mostly in python morsels solutions because when i'm so how python morsels works is i send an exercise it has different parts to it to kind of rank ratchet up the difficulty level if you want as well as automated tests um which we were talking about a little bit before the show. But then after you attempt it, I send solutions. And I don't just send one because there's never one way to solve a problem. I try to send lots of different ways you might solve it and explain why one might be better than another. And so the Walrus operator has to come into play there because people are going to ask me about it even <laughs> if I don't like it. And so I I have to solve it using the Walrus operator. I have to use Lambda expressions, even though I'm not a big fan of them. I have to use things that... I'm not a big fan of just for the sake of discussion, at least. I do think, though, that I kind of like the walrus operator in certain use cases. But most of the time where I go, oh, we could use a walrus operator here, I usually follow it up with, but we probably shouldn't in this case, (laughs) because there's a lot of places you can use it, and it will make your code shorter, but it makes it really hard to read. I do think that there's some pretty elegant places, though, in while loops and sometimes in if statements where... When you're really low level nitty gritty, where you're like reading, you know, 256 chunks from a file at a time, and you have to manually call the read method, and it's in a while that you're doing it, and you'd have a lot of like three lines of code repetition if you didn't have the Walrus operator, that's where I feel like it's kind of made for that use case. So I I like it, but I don't like to stretch its use. (laughs) Meanwhile, that was a a longer answer than I expected I could give on the Walrus operator.
0: (laughs) So for the. I will put a link in the show notes so that people can learn what the walrus operator in Python is. I'm sure there's like someone that's like a PHP developer or a Laravel developer that's like, what are you talking about? But that's perfectly fine. I think for me, I've always had this bad habit. I think Kenneth Love once told me like, the problem that he saw with a lot of my code is that if I learn a new way to do something... Like, that is my new go-to for, like, doing that thing. And at the moment, like, I am a more iter-tools, like, junkie. Like, I I had to refactor some code earlier because I literally had thrown in there, like, what was it? Um, If some some condition um, is in this Lambda filter false statement, (laughs) and I was just like okay, I'm obviously overcomplicating this. Let me just rip all of this out and then maybe put it somewhere else where it doesn't have to be as complicated.
1: Yeah, I don't think you're alone at all. I feel like this is a... um, I don't think it's an inherent feature of people who enter this field, but I feel like it's kind of almost a a stereotypical feature that if you write code, the type of people who are often told you should write code for a living are often the type of people who latch on to the next cool thing. And so I feel like like I have this tendency too and I've like it's just years of me fighting back against it and telling myself when there's a new cool shiny thing I shouldn't get it. I mean this is the same with gadgets, right? Like tech gadgets, there's a new there's a new cool thing. I don't want to be an early adopter because I would rather other people do that for me. And then later I'll get it once it's boring. And once it's boring, then it'll actually work. And then I'll know how to use it. Then I'll, I'll know the ways to use it. And so it, I, you know, I have to do a bit of both because being a tech educator, people always ask like, how, where would you use the walrus operator? And I go, it literally came out last month. Like, I, I don't <laughs> know how to answer this yet, but I do kind of have to have some sort of answer at some point. So I, I get to I get to have that excuse of experimenting. I have a good reason to, but whenever I'm writing code for someone else, for a client, you know, years ago when I used to write code for for clients a lot, it's so hard. It's so hard to fight that temptation. And I mean, you're writing code for yourself. So it really doesn't matter. You get to have fun. But I guess I would be careful, you know, when you're showing code to like a a potential client or employer or whatever, when they look at it and go, whoa, you're using so many new features here. What's going on? I feel like explaining, like I did this for fun. Like I obviously, I would do it this more boring way if I was doing it at, at the workplace. Might be the way to go. It's, I don't, I don't know. That's it, you're not alone at all.
0: I, I wonder about that though because the the conversations I have with some other um, fellow Python like Pythonistas that we both know, um, they often are are saying like the stuff that you're doing for fun is stuff that one I I, I never imagine myself ever needing to do. So I wonder if like the idea of of would I use this in, you know, code that I would write for someone else. I mean, I think in a way it does depend on the project because I'm often writing code for a very specific industry. You know, a lot of the code that I write supports podcasters, supports, um, you know, content creators. So for me, like, the industries that I'm operating in are fairly new. So a lot of the requirements that those industries need are fairly new, like similar. I mean, earlier in the conversation, before we started recording, we were talking about like doing transcriptions for your courses. And it was like, when, when you're doing a transcription for a, a one minute course, it's a lot, you have a lot more flexibility with what you want to use in comparison to doing a transcription for like an hour and a half conversation where, you know, if time gets out of sync, if speakers get jumbled up, it can have, you know, a serious toll on your sanity, to be honest. But, um, you know, it takes a lot of time, it takes a lot of money to fix those problems. So I often catch myself doing things that I've never done before, not just because it's like, oh, this is a new thing I could learn. It's like, I genuinely don't know how I would go about doing this. So let me break it into pieces. And one of these pieces happens to be solved using, you know, some really dumb Lambda expression that I should probably never have to write.
1: <laughs> right, right. Yeah, I I hear what you're saying. I do think there's there's obviously a place for, you know, you're inventing the thing that will then be used by others. You're inventing the framework that's needed because it doesn't exist yet. But I feel like most of the time I think I need that. And this is the same with most of the time I, I am going to make a web application that does this. It has this cool feature in it. I, I have to talk to someone who then makes me step back and realize, Oh, I could just pay five bucks a month to the service that does the same thing. And then I won't end up spending 80 hours of time doing it myself. And I probably value my time more than that, you know, that, that amount of money there. So it, you know, either paying for something or using someone else's thing or doing, throwing more CPU at the problem and doing things the boring way that's slower. If I can do that, I want to, even though, well, no, if I can do that, I should, even though I would rather do the thing that is over-engineered and I'll probably fail halfway through and give up.
0: Definitely. And, and you know, one of the things that you're often doing is you're teaching people. I mean, your, your talks that you've given are really focused on like, let's understand a concept. Is that something that you feel a lot of developers are missing? And I think a good example of that, uh, we had a long conversation. Again, this this helps that we've actually like been talking for an hour before we started recording. So we had so many conversations that we can pull from. But we were talking about how, you know, a testing platform doesn't, although they phrase, a function that they have or a set of functionality that they have, one would think that they're using certain built-in frameworks, but they're not. And that's by design. Do you often feel like you have to explain how a thing is actually working, especially when you start looking at things like iterators and um, especially like data classes, which are new, but there's there's you have to understand why you would want to use those things in, instead of the traditional method
1: right i do but only once you go beyond the shallow level and this this is a tricky thing that if i'm teaching a brand new programmer or if i'm teaching someone who's not a brand new programmer but they're brand new to python and i don't necessarily know their background or maybe i do know their background but it doesn't you know they're not going to understand certain terminology that i use starting with um The shallowest level makes the most sense, where you start with here's the way the thing works at a surface level. There's no reason to start talking about iterators when you explain how for loops work, unless you're talking, unless you're at a pretty deep level where you're like, okay, now let's finally look under the hood and see how these things work for the sake of not just understanding them, but using that understanding to make other things or do other things or see how these two pieces fit together. And so I feel like. While I am often find, while I'm often explaining how something actually works at a lower level than you know a lot of other courses that I see out there, I think it's only because I'm purposely um, looking at that level where my audience is mostly folks who've been writing Python. They're self-taught. They didn't go through a formal Python course, a formal computer science degree. They didn't learn that you know the word sequence means this, the word iterably means that necessarily. They probably never learned about iterators because why would you need to learn about iterators? You're just (laughs) learning Python for the first time. And they, they might not have learned about Dunder methods because you don't need to know about, you know, these weird methods that are for operator overloading if you're not overloading operators. And so it's, it's under the hood stuff, but, I think that it helps fit the pieces together. So I'm kind of making, in my mind, education for people who are sort of like me, because I often just stumbled through learning. I would just copy paste some code. I would start changing the code. I would start trying to figure out what the code did. And then at some point, I'm writing my own code that does the same thing. But I never stopped and went, what am I actually doing here? You know, what's going on under the hood? How does this thing actually work? (laughs) I.
0: I believe I just got to that point in my career where it's like now I I need to understand how a thing is working because it's the the difference between, you know, building a web, you know, if if my competitors to a service that I'm creating, if they can do the exact same thing in, you know, a third of the time that it takes my system, then I need to understand like okay, I'm not trying to necessarily beat them on performance, but if the first thing that people will say is man this thing is slow, it's like okay, I need to know why it's so slow and necess- and like where I can maybe make things more efficient. And and that's where I feel like a lot of your videos have helped me because it's often a an example of like yes, you can get maybe a performance hit by doing it this way. But here's why that performance hit might be worth it. Or and I think there was a really good PyCon talk about like how to refactor your code and like the first step was like don't refactor your code unless you absolutely need to refactor your code. Like right. you're until until you're 100% sure this needs to be refactored, like don't refactor it. That's um, great advice. <laughs> but yeah, I I I just sit there and I think like when you're teaching people, especially, you know, you mentioned having to do a beginner level, an intermediate level, and an advanced level. What are the metrics for that? Like, what what do you, what would you consider, like, beginner versus intermediate and intermediate versus advanced? And I, I think that that goes towards that whole, like, junior developer level, if that's a thing, to intermediate developer, which apparently there are never job opportunities for, and then, like, senior level developer. Are, is it kind of that model, or are you, like, creating your own?
1: I have no idea. <laughs> so, I mean, I, this is the problem, right? No matter how I define those words, someone else is going to have a different definition. And so I try to kind of, um, I put things in those buckets for, for this is for Python morsels we were talking about that, you know, I, when I'm sending exercises out, if you say this is my skill level, you expect to get an exercise appropriate for that skill level. I then have a feedback form. If you leave me feedback complaining this was too easy, this was too hard, I now know that a certain number of people think that this is not appropriate for the skill level. I still don't have that much more information about the skill level. I know that this one exercise, for some reason, some people think doesn't fit. But that doesn't mean other people think it doesn't fit. That means that some people you know, are loud enough to think that it doesn't fit. And so... It, You know, there's some weird Venn diagram we all have in our head as far as what these things are. A lot of people put themselves in the novice bucket who shouldn't because they're more advanced um, or who put themselves in the novice bucket, not realizing, or they skipped over the part where I explained that Python morsels isn't for folks who are really new to Python, that you kind of, novice actually is not that novice. It's not actually (laughs) brand new. It's a little bit beyond that, which is confusing on my platform. And then intermediate, a lot of people put themselves in that bucket who shouldn't Uh, because they think that they are more advanced than they are, um, because I'm making different assumptions than they are about what advanced means. They may have been writing Python for a long time, but that doesn't mean that they've necessarily been using classes, because you can write Python for years without caring about object-oriented programming, depending on what you're using Python for. If you're parsing log files, you might not ever need to write a class. If you're using a web framework, probably classes are going to come into play somewhere. So it's, the words are so, so fuzzy. And I, I feel like you really always need to have a hit list of here's the bullet points of what exactly I mean when I say novice or intermediate for all these different skill levels or, or topics we might talk about.
0: Definitely. And how does, how does that impact when you're doing like, team training. Cause I, I feel like that's where it would get like super complicated when you, when you're talking, you're talking to like a CTO or you're talking to like a senior developer and you're like, Hey, what's the skill level of your team? Well, they don't want to be like, no, we have, a bu- we have a bunch of beginners, but you know, yeah. for them, they're just like, no, we have five senior developers, you know, seven intermediate developers and 10 junior developers. Like that, that doesn't answer your question. It just like it just throws a ton of ambiguity and like, okay, you have a bunch of people that have been programming for different lengths of time that doesn't actually address what their actual skill level is.
1: Yes. Um, you're hitting all the things that are scary <laughs> because <laughs> you know, when I'm talking to clients, it, and I mean, it's, it's not really scary in the sense that it's um, it's a constant problem in that I, I try not to use those words at all. I ask, what are you using python for what are their backgrounds do they have programming backgrounds what are their you know what have they used what are their languages are they already writing python code talk in specifics because when you use the words intermediate novice they all want to say that they're very skilled people and that's not going to be helpful for me so when they want an intermediate python course i usually try to instead sell them on an intermediate level workshop that assumes knowledge of certain things. If they don't have that knowledge, we now need to talk about, well, how do we you know, get that knowledge? Do we do a full intro class? Do we do something else? But I almost always try to sell people on, if you've never actually sat down and formally tried to learn Python, even if you've been writing it for a couple months, let's go back and learn Python. We'll skip over some of the beginning stuff quickly, but we'll go through it because you'll probably learn a few things that you didn't ever pick up on, oh, that's why that works that way. And then we can get to the interesting stuff. And so I, I'm usually able to convince my clients that, you know, we may not call it an intro, but we're going to do a lot of kind of review-based stuff to make sure we're at the same foundation. Because object-oriented programming is a really big example where this this comes up, where a room full of people who have different programming backgrounds, some of them will go, oh, a class, I get it. Some of them will go, a class, that's scary. And the ones who say, I get it, about half of them don't get it. They think they get it because they're coming from a very different programming language that has classes that don't work at all the way Python's classes do. So it's there's no good way to solve this without trying to, in the moment, kind of pander to the audience that you end up having in the room and changing the pace if you need to change it and saying, you know, we're going to cut this thing and focus more on this. Is that okay? And so kind of reading the pulse of the audience that you've got, I feel like it's just always necessary. There's, there's no way to go in beforehand knowing everything you need to know. At least every time I've tried that, it almost works most of the time and then it doesn't work for some cases.
0: That, you know, you're talking about classes. I get it. Like, that immediately made me think of, like, JavaScript objects. Like, as much as I understand Python classes and I can, like, embrace a Python class or a Python data class, JavaScript objects just scare the fire out of me. And it's just like, I have no idea. Anytime they're like, oh, yeah, you have this object thing here. And I'm like, nope, not going to mess with that. Just just going to continue down the road with what do I need to solve this problem? (laughs)
1: And, like, the terminology that's used is even scarier because, like, in Python, we have these scary words that we borrowed from other languages, like um, having an instance of an object. In, in JavaScript, there's prototypical inheritance. What does that mean? <laughs> I, I am also scared by an inheritance and how um, objects work in JavaScript, and I'm grateful that I, I don't have to teach that to brand-new programmers.
0: So how how has the transition into like you know you mentioned you for a while you wrote a lot of code now you're teaching others how to write a lot of code um how has that transitioned from you in terms of the type of projects that you work on whether you work on them for fun or to to learn like uh, just kind of explain how that transition kind of has gone over the past few years
1: yeah i am really really lucky because uh, well, I, I can't say the sole reason I'm really, really lucky. But one reason I am very, very lucky is that coming into training is something that kind of happened by accident, you know, by happenstance, the same way getting into consulting happened for me, realizing Python was a language I want to do, finding out about web development. I mean, a lot of these things were just someone came to me and had a problem or showed me a thing and I went oh, that's kind of cool. And it's possible I might have just never, that wouldn't have happened for years. So coming into training was a happy accident that happened in uh, 2015. Before that, before I decided I was going to stop doing all of my client consulting work, which is what I was doing at the time and only do training, I was writing code for other people mostly. However, I was also kind of teaching on the side at the San Diego Python Group's workshops, which is where we met in San Diego Python Group. And um, I was contributing to open source sort of on the side, sort of for client work, but also sort of for like, this is fun, you know, this may not be a billable hour I'm doing here because I can't really justify this being for, you know, a project I'm actually working on with a client, but it's an excuse to write code that's, uh, you know, for learning, for the sake of me figuring out, how does GitHub interact with some, you know, Travis CI or with the Python package index? Or how does a pull request work? Because if I'm, you know, if if I'm contributing to a project I've ever contributed to, I then have to figure out how do I abide by their style guide and such. So writing code for fun was a thing I did. Now I get to do it all the time. Because if I'm teaching... The code examples that I write, I have full control over them. And if I decide I'm going to come up with some really wacky example that gets the point across because there's an analogy in there that works, that's fine. And in fact, it's fine if I then have a disclaimer afterwards, oh, you should never do this because there's this big flaw in the code here. Whereas I could never deploy that code to production. And so I... I'm really lucky that I now get to write a lot of code for fun with the excuse in the back of my mind, at least that this might end up being in curriculum one day, even though it isn't most of the time, you know, there's a chance that it might be.
0: I love that. And I actually want to wrap it up with, you know, what is next for you and for, you know, for your, your course, uh, Work that you're doing, like what what has you most excited, um, especially right now when there's not very many reasons to be excited,
1: (laughs) right? Yeah, this is a good question because you're right. There's a lot of reasons I'm not excited that are not particularly relevant to my work, but have me kind of fretting about, you know, what am I doing with my life, sort of. Um, And so, in my work. I guess it's funny because I often think of it as the opposite. What am I not excited about? What am I (laughs) I scared of? And that then lets me know what are the things I need to find the the replacement for that or the thing that comes after that. And a year or two ago, it was preparing talks at conferences takes a lot of time. Or being on the Python Software Foundation Board of Directors, I feel like I don't know what I'm doing. I feel like I'm not making a difference there. What's the thing I want to do instead? Um, And sometimes I'm kind of, I've burned out on a specific thing. I don't think I've burned out on Python exercises, but I do feel like I need something more well-rounded there in the sense that I purposely took the approach a couple of years ago with Python morsels that I'm not going to write, I'm not going to tell you things. I'm not going to show you things in video. I'm not going to you know, speak things out loud. I instead give you an exercise, you write the code, and then you think about it afterward, which is like in you know the inverse of a traditional Python course kind of. I don't have the traditional Python course part though. So I think I want to go back and circle back and try to do the thing that everyone else is doing and figure out how do I then link that to the thing I've already been doing? How do I do screencasts? How do I do not just blog posts, but tutorials, maybe stepping you through things or full courses, Um, which sounds funny that I want to like kind of do a more traditional teaching style, but that to me, that's exciting because I hadn't been doing it. I wasn't doing it. So I that's the thing I think I want to circle back and do is figure out how do I be a little bit more of a traditional online uh, educator and, and maybe figure out how do I take that and whatever I learn there, put it into what I'm doing on site with Teams.
0: I think that that's probably one of the biggest things that has helped in my career is looking at new opportunities and taking them and then... Again, kind of doing that retrospective of like, how what did I learn in doing this, and how can I apply this to other areas? I mean, for me, like I said, a lot of the code that I'm writing is often because of, you know, podcast related stuff. The first, the first project I ever showed you, and I I think it was you and uh, might have been David. I know it was you, Melanie, and Carol, and it was literally a way that I could make gathering show notes easier for my podcasts. Mm -hmm. And like through that, I fell in love with like regular expressions and, you know, the stuff that I, I literally was helping someone on Twitter. They were like, Hey, I have this, you know, regular expression nightmare thing. And I'm like, okay, what are you trying to solve? And then I'm like, all right, let me just make sure I'm doing this right. And still having that same fun with it. And it's like, wow, to think that the knowledge that I was able to impart on, you know, to someone else came from an idea that was just like podcasts are hard. How do I make them less hard?
1: Right. Yeah. I mean, you're, cause you're finding a need and that need is something you understand or you know, someone who really understands either way, and then you solve it and you go from there. And at some point you're going to realize maybe I'm going in the wrong direction, but it moving, I think is more important than, you know what direction you're going in because you're always kind of change course
0: absolutely and it's a lot easier to to keep moving and change your direction than it is to actually start moving uh so yeah i've I am excited because I know that this is only half the conversation. <laughs> I know right. uh, technically, I guess it's only two-thirds of the conversation. So there's, there's going to be a lot more coming up. But before we jump into the after show, let everybody know how they can connect with Python Morsels or uh, how they can get you to help uh, teach their team.
1: Um, PythonMorsels.com is where you can go sign up and you'll get uh, essentially the first month free. Uh, for that, and after that, you can choose whether or not you want to, you know, pay to get more out of that. At the moment, more means more exercises, more of the the, you know, habit of doing an exercise on a regular basis. Which that habit is really the important thing, regardless of what platform you're doing it on. Um, if you're interested in team training or just want to chat about your team situation, even if it doesn't make sense for us to work together. Uh, truthful dot technology is my, those are kind of two, they're the same entity, just two different domains. Um, that's where I do, uh, on site and remote training for teams and anywhere on the internet, you see Trey Hunter, uh, it's two N's. There's, there's, there's no silent T in there. Um, that is me, or I guess it could be someone impersonating me, but I don't, I don't <laughs> think that would ever happen, um, on Twitter or, you know, TreyHunter.com, whatever.
0: Awesome. Well, uh, thank you so much, Trey, for for being a guest on the show. Uh, thank you, everyone that's been listening. And as I mentioned before, this is only part of the conversation. In a few minutes, Trey's going to be uh, pelting me with questions. And I'm really interested in what they're going to be because, again, when you've known someone for so long, uh, whether, you know, we've we've sat down over dinner and talked about a ton of things, we've Talked online, we've talked in person, like so many different conversations have been had. So, and I've always grown from like every single one of them. So, I'm only excited to know, and I'm putting a lot of pressure on him. So, that's okay. I know he can handle it.
1: It's going to be good.
0: (laughs) Good, good, good. So, if you want to hear that part of the conversation, then there's only one way that you can get it. There's a bonus feed that's available to anyone that emails. Info at Productivity and ask to join our community. And there's two parts of the community. One is a, a Slack channel that we're all hanging out in and, and chatting. If Slack isn't your thing, there's also a newsletter and a private group that like I will literally email people and say, Hey, how's it going? You know, what's been going on in your world? So if you would like that and you want access to this after show, info at productivityintech.com is the email. Just let me know. I'm putting it all on you and not on me. And you could also hit me up on Twitter. You can find me at KJY Miller. And of course, follow productivityintech.com or prod underscore in underscore tech for all information concerning the podcast and the business around it. And last but not least, a special thanks to Nadir Omawale for the use of his music, a hustler in spite of myself, for the intro and outro. That's going to do it for this episode of the Productivity in Tech podcast. Trey, are you ready to jump into the after show?
1: I am very ready, Jay.